0: Hey, Trev, good to see you, mate. How are you? I'm good, Mark. Thanks. How are you keeping yourself, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for joining me. Right, we've got some interesting stuff going on. Look, I just want to show you an email I received this morning, and we'll have a discussion about this, I think. So uh, I'm just going to share my screen with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is an email I received this morning. Can you see that okay?
1: Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's come through.
0: Yeah, it said, uh, Mark, I hope you and your family are keeping well and safe. I hope you don't mind me asking for your assistance. Do you have anything official from the SA or yourself that outlines how to deal with an incident keeping social distancing? We work for the local council and I have staff in buildings where people attend for benefits, etc. As I'm sure you are aware, they turn up under the influence of some form of substance and are not very cooperative. As a result, they have to be ejected from sight. Thanks for your health, stay safe, name withheld. Now I've had a conversation with this person as well. Yeah. Uh, on the phone and talked him through some stuff and, you know, basically gave him my opinion. But I'm just wondering, based on this, what would you advise these people to do?
1: Well, I think in the first instance, we just kind of touched on the a- aspect that so you mentioned about the SIA. and I think one of the factors within this is that um, I have to confess, and I'm not sure from your perspective, but I, I've seen nothing come out from the SIA around management of COVID and infection control and PPE measures. Yeah. So, so I think that's one factor that needs to be included within this. But certainly from the broader perspective, you know, and some of the things we spoke about recently about, you know, let's look at the risk assessment and the Eric PD element of it, you know, and what measures does he put in place in the first instance to try and eliminate the risk around the social distancing? Yeah. Because mm. that, that becomes a significant factor, doesn't it? You know, have they got, I'm gonna call it entrance control of footfall? Yeah. That's one of the factors that it certainly needs to be considered in there and mm. there. And if a challenge does, you know, if challenging or aggressive behaviour because he's talking about having to eject people. Yeah. Let's have a look at the basis of them. Let's call it violent behaviour, yeah. And on around known risk of violent behaviour. So what discussions has he had then with I'm going to say uh, the people within the is it the, the benefits office? Yeah. yeah. What conversations has he had with the senior leadership team, the benefits office around the resources and the layout of the the, the environment itself? Mm. You know what measures do they have to, for example, take on hands on control? Because if we go through the process of somebody arriving at the benefits office, yeah. Because presumably at the moment, then in around the infection control. They've got some kind of entrance control, egress and excess. Exit, exit right. yeah. So that's one measure, isn't it? So they've got a, I'm going to call it a point of control, a point of entry control.
0: Yeah, well, I, had, I had a chat. He actually phoned me as well because um, I replied to his email. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, look, you know, the, all the points you've raised, I said, you should be letting people in mm. in a controlled manner. I said, and are you doing that? He said, yeah, we have one or two people coming at a time. I said, that's great. So I said, so if the person is becoming uncooperative outside, yeah lock, lock the door don't let them in mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you've got you've got that contained and deal with the people that are in there he said well what happens if they're in there and then they become you know violent aggressive because they're they're not getting what they want to hear about their benefits he said and they could be under the influence of drink or drugs he said they may have other infectious diseases he said and my security staff are there you know should they go hands-on and you know and what i said to him i said well look I said, all of the, all the risks are there, I said, from COVID. They're all well known now. I mean, you, you and I have spoken about them numerous times, you know, and people watching this will understand these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the concerns was, he said, if I have to go and buy a load of PPE, that's going to cost a lot of money because he's got a whole load of these offices that, that his company looks after. Right. So we talked about the reasonable practical issues and explained to him the risk fee cost and what he has to consider as an organization. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, from my point of view, I said, what well, I would do. I said, if they became aggressive boarding on violence i said you need to eliminate the need to restrain them at source mm-hmm. I said, get your staff and, and the local authority staff where it is the benefits office staff to extract themselves via a door into another part of the building and secure themselves in there mm-hmm. i said i'm presuming it's on camera i said it, you know over the microphone tell the person to leave because they're now trespassing uh, and they have to leave if they don't leave the police will be called and you know they, they may have their benefits compromised they may stop the benefits because of their behavior until such time as whatever i said you know put that out there if, if that's feasible i said and then you've got no one you know you're not at risk and this is something i developed many many years ago doing lots of work for local authorities and the question i got then was well if we do that what about the other people in the reception area are we liable for them and yeah, the bottom line is, is the local authority fundamentally has the liability mm-hmm. for anyone that's there. I said, but, you know, I said, it's less of a risk than your staff grabbing control, grabbing hold of someone trying to take control of them. And an interesting comment someone made on a thread in, uh, on one of the posts I put up on Facebook was they run a martial arts school.
1: right?
0: And they've gone to a doctor and said, look, what's the risks of us, you know, when we restart this? And the doctor has apparently said to them, well, one of the things you've got to think about, if you're doing any high-intensity stuff, he said people will sweat. Mm-hmm. And if you're grabbing hold of each other when you're sweaty, that's going to increase the risk of transmission. Now, I'm not medical, so I don't know whether that's true or not, but it seems feasible enough. You know, mm-hmm. So I said to him, I'd extract, you know, I'd extract, cordon off the area, tell him to leave. Once he's gone, when he's outside, you know, you can then re- regain what you're normally doing, let people one at a time, wait till he's calmed down, and get someone to speak to him from a distance. And if he becomes aggressive again, Extract, you know. So, what was your take on that?
1: I mean, a, I'd certainly follow that as you say, you know, from a strategic plan point of view. Because, you know, let's be brutally honest. Unless there's a need to actually intervene, then let's look at exit plans, and withdrawal, and containment within that particular area. Because if we've got them restricted in that area, i.e the staff are behind some kind of partition, safe area?
0: Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And his staff and colleagues can withdraw and let's say put a barrier between us, closing the door, locking the door. Mm. Doors. And I think, did you make reference to, or uh, as a benefits office, there must be some form of CCTV camera right. there? Yeah, there's cameras there. Yeah. Then, you know, from that perspective, that can be monitored. And I'm sure, again, there must be some communication system, tannoy system, call it what we want, yeah, where they can have a, a conversation with, I'm going to call it, the guilty parties in there, or the people preventing, causing violence, to mm. of de-escalation. Yeah. yeah. If that fails subsequently, then, I would respect, the next obvious step would be to inform. And then, if they don't, you know, if they don't stop that behavior, then they'll inform the police. Yeah, um, police yeah. to come along and deal with it with respect, you know. And then once the police arrive, they can, you know, hand it over to the police for them to take action as necessary. But yeah. I think at one point within that, <laughs> you've got a visitor. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's sorry, that's <laughs> <a star>, <laughs> <Just, laughs> <sorry. laughs> me for a second. <laughs> Hello, He'll get on my shoulder. Oh, okay. Sorry, just literally, I wonder what that was just walking by. Uh, sorry about that. But um, another factor within that, though, whilst that's the plan, you know, and to, to to most it would seem a very good and obvious plan for themselves, but I think we need to come back as well, don't we? And uh, I don't know if this came up in your discussion with them, but have they visited in terms of the type of PPE they're wearing? Because we come back to, don't we, around, you know, there's lots, lots of raft of information about COVID-19, infection control PPE. Um, You and I have spoken about this, and I'm sure many of our peers have spoken about this. But the factor of what is the quality of gloves you're wearing, yeah, and if those gloves get damaged, and coming back to your point about transmission, yeah, diseases. So if those gloves get damaged, then what measures have they got in place? You know, because if we've got somebody who's sweaty and we're not quite sure what diseases, contaminants they've got, then that could be a factor, couldn't it? During a you know, let's say a dynamic restraint, which comes up as a problem.
0: Well, it's what we spoke about when we did the last webinar, because anytime you introduce anything else into there, you're going to introduce mm-hmm. additional hazards that then have to be assessed in their own right. So, you know, what happens if they get torn? What happens if the mask gets pulled off? All those sort of things. That's going to be a recessive part of the process. What's interesting is, you know, that's an interesting email I got because, you know, all the focus has been on healthcare and care, mm-hmm. with all of this pr- fundamentally. Uh, and, the, you know, security officers now are at risk. In fact, I think there was a post out the other day or a newspaper article or some study done by someone that said that they're in the highest risk category of death right now because yeah. of their proximity to people who have care of COVID. So it's nice to sort of talk about this from the security perspective, you know, because there's a lot of security people out there doing a really good job in difficult circumstances. And, you know, they, they need some recognition mm-hmm. for this as well, you know. And But it's also interesting. The fact is it's making people think now about not going hands on.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and this is really good because you know a lot. Of, the emphasis is always, well, if we have to restrain, we'll restrain. You know, we can make that decision. But now we're actually saying, look, let's go back and look at processes. And the first part of you know, any use of force thing is, is it necessary? And this situation is really highlighting whether or not it's necessary to grab hold of someone, or whether you can find an alternative method. So I think a lot of good will come out of this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, you highlight a very good point. And sadly, although it's come about via COVID, but you're absolutely right. It's been the fundamental strap line of what we and many of our peers have been trying to teach forever and a day, isn't it? You know, in the first instance, you know, think about, you know, non-verbal and verbal communication around de-escalation. Mm. So I think, yeah, it, it follows that philosophy, doesn't it, within themselves from there. So I think, yeah, you make a you know a very valid point within themselves. I think as well, though, the other thing we have referenced it, but we just need to, I think, just reinforce. But, you know, around the foreseeable risk and the duty of care for the, for the senior leadership team and the benefits office. Yeah. Because that be, you know, that's got to be a factor, isn't it? They may be security staff, and the point you made, security and many others uh, aren't getting a lot of overt recognition around all the communication. But the fact that they're employed on the side of the benefits office, then we come back to that tangible link around duty of care, about staff working oh. on premises.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, because just let me share my screen with you once more. Mm-hmm. give me one second i want to show Perfect. people this all right so that's the situation we're dealing with yeah Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. this is a case here against yeah. luminar leisure right which goes back to august 2000 mm-hmm. you can see mm-hmm. uh and this was where a gentleman called mr hawley was punched in the face by a doorman uh and he, he was hit so hard that he fell on the floor and he striked his head on the curb and there's a combination of that he got you know facial injuries nose injuries jaw injuries and he's also brain damaged now, the defense from this organization was, you know, because they, they appealed against the charge and said, you know, we've we, we got subcontracted door staff there. We subcontracted the security officers to do the job. Yep. You know, we're, we're a nightclub. We don't do security. So the liability rests with them. But in this case, the finding um, was different because Thompson solicitors with the aid of the fire brigade union. They overturned the appeal, which was dismissed from the company, right. and that means now that an organisation which employs contract workers can be responsible for their actions while working on the premises, depending on the level of control that they retain. And this was mm-hmm. also a factor in the Peter Stringfellow right. case. You know, it's quite a famous case that we've been talking about for right. years. Yes, where you know one of the doormen killed someone in, in you know, who was in in Mr Stringfellow's nightclub. Mm-hmm. So this raises the whole point that you make. It's about the liability of the organisation that's employing. The security because as you and i know and i'm pretty sure most everyone else knows is watching this you can be subcontracted for tax and national insurance purposes but you can't be subcontracted for a duty of care because the minute you're working on someone else's property whoever that commissioning agency is they are they have a duty of care towards you the same as they have a duty of care towards their own staff and that can't be subcontracted away
1: absolutely and you know and i think another factor within that isn't it is the fact that you know a lot unless they were security. But a lot of security staff are employed, let's just say, you know, at a nightclub or a venue, you know, daytime, nighttime security, a nighttime environment. But the fact is, we want to empower, you know, as we've always done, we want to empower them, don't we, to ask those questions if they're unsure or uncertain yeah. themselves. Yeah. And based on the answer they get from there, then they're better informed, aren't they, in terms of what decision they're going to make to go forward. And in the extremest of circumstances, it may well be, well, you know what, based on that information, if you're not going to change your rationale. Then I may not deploy or work at this venue at this particular moment.
0: Well, we're back to the the, the you know the regulation eight of the management regulations, where they can stop work and go to a place of safety if they're presented with in danger, refuse to return, you know, while that danger is there, you know, and all that's supported by the Employment Rights Act, where they have that right there, and also they can't be dismissed unfairly for that because you know if if they're working within their rights, the employer can't punish them or dismiss them. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting time. You know, it's an interesting time. But I think there's some creative stuff coming out of it. You know, there's some good stuff coming out of it. But I'm just wondering, you know, whether people actually get this, you know, whether some people realise that when they bring some contract, subcontracted staff in, that they are actually 100% responsible for the duty of care while they're on their premises, you know, because they absolutely are. And when I spoke to this gentleman this morning, mm-hmm. uh, part of the advice I gave him was I said, look, go back to the local authorities that you're supplying your staff to and just ask them, what do they expect your staff to do? What's the risk assessment say? What's the policy? What's the procedure? What's the protocol? Because while your staff are there, they are basically – for want of a better word employed by the local authority and he said oh, I didn't realize that he said oh, that will be my next question and he went away and he, what was nice about it was he went from a position of thinking oh I've got a massive problem and I've got to buy all this PPE and do all this stuff and all the fear of then staff restraining to actually we've got a shared problem here and we can extract and leave if need be and there's a different solution to it where we can coordinate and con- control and contain so no, it's, it's, it's uh, interesting times
1: no I, I think massively so and I think as well you know the other side of that, isn't it? And you know, for for many people who, who go to these venues for the first time, on you know, uninformed, mm. then to get that briefing, isn't it? Because at the minute, as you say, we've got a lot of managers, uh, employers are saying to security people, "When they turn up, well, you're the security person. You manage the risk." But the point we're coming to is, what is the risk? Yeah. <laughs> Give <laughs> me some rationale around what are the dangers, what are the risks, you know, for themselves. I've got to tell yeah.
0: this. I've got to tell this story. Go ahead. A guy came and trained with us years ago. He was actually a hospital security officer. I think he was going to be the manager of this hospital. And when he got the job, he said to them, "He said, what's my brief? You know, what do I do?'" And they said, "Right. What part of what you do is, if there's a an alarm call from A and E, you need to run there and restrain someone if they're being violent." He said, "Great. Okay, no problem with that." He said, "Do I get the training?" They said, "What training?" He said, "Restraint training." And they said, "Why do you need restraint training? You were in the army." He said, "I drove tanks." but it's this association between you've been in a particular job you must understand how to do this task because there is some inherent link somewhere when actually there isn't you know and people are being put in positions where they expect to do stuff and you know risk assessments is a prime one where they say well yeah you know go and do the risk assessment well what training competencies that person got to do the risk assessment because you and i know any decent lawyer who's worth his salt is going to say in a civil case can i see the risk assessment right okay who did it (laughs) <laughs> you know, and if it's not done properly, that's that's going to be, be torn to shreds. But um, yeah, So I just want to show you this last one because it, you know, we, uh, oh, I've got to share my screen now.
1: Is right,
0: no problem? Oh, amateur, amateur hour. Uh, where am I here? all right So going back to healthcare, this is another email I received okay. this morning. It says, hi, Mark, I work for Healthcare Trust Name Redacted. I t- obviously, he's asked me to take the names out the uh, address redacted in a medium secure unit. They started doing PMBA, and for those who don't know what PMBA is, that's the healthcare name for physical restraint or physical mm-hmm. intervention. They started doing PMBA again a few weeks ago for new starters only. Mm-hmm. I spoke to one of the instructors to question how. He himself had refused to teach, but others are. He said that he was told they are allowed to do the training as it is deemed business essential. Sure. Okay. Also, now, due to a trainer becoming ill during the five day course, he has been told that the training will carry on, but everyone will have to wear full PPE. All the decisions are being made by one person without any consultation of trainers, etc. And no one has seen the risk assessment, so we are not sure if one took place or not. And there has been no consultation about how decisions have been made that PMBA is an essential business need. Regards, and obviously, they've asked for their name and everything else to be mm-hmm. redacted. This is someone that's quite worried. You know they're quite concerned. Uh, I don't know them. You know I've never met them before. I don't. I don't. I haven't taught their organisation. But again, you know, there's there's holes in what he's writing about. There th- that need filling. You know, um, first question is how did they come to the conclusion that it was business essential?
1: Uh, well, I was going to say where do we start and how long have we got? Uh, but um, I think business essential. You're absolutely right. um <clears throat> Yeah, and again, you know, uh, we gave a we gave a talk recently, didn't we, about you know the hierarchy hierarchy of law? Yeah. Uh, and although COVID nineteen is serious as it is, you know, because you know, you know, uh, what's the outcome? Then you know, we know suddenly people are dying, people are suffering illness, are quite severe injury illness. But you know, law hasn't changed. You know, so like you, the first question is, and I can't see us getting past go, is what deems it business essential in the eyes of the person in charge here? It doesn't say his or her role or appointment, does it? In terms no, they
0: asked me to to leave that bit out.
1: Okay, sorry, my apologies. Yeah. yeah, So this senior, I'll just say this this very senior person. Then, you know, what brought about that decision around business essential? What overrides, I suppose, the law in that person's view?
0: It doesn't, does it? You know, the...
1: no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, forgive me, but but it's still a question that needs to be asked. Though, doesn't, isn't it?
0: I'm going to end up getting this, getting this tattooed, or or making a record about this because I keep saying it all the time. You know, the, the law's not been suspended, amended, or redacted in any way, shape, or form. It's still there. Um, but again, you know, it's someone's made it or took the decision or made the decision without talking to the people who are going to be involved in actually implementing this decision. Now, you and I both know there's work, workplace consultation regulations. So I've been involved in cases in the past where you've got risk assessments, and you say, "Well, who was consulted on this?" Yeah. You know, well. What do you mean? Well, you, you're the risk assessed person. Did you consult with, in this case, for example, PMVA trainers or physical restraint trainers? Did Did you consult with the multiple you know, AMDT, the the multidisciplinary team? Mm-hmm. No, I, I took the decision. Well, that's just a one-dimensional risk assessment. You know, it's like it's like taking an aircraft into a hangar yeah. and saying yeah. it doesn't work. Okay, you fix it. Yeah, but but I, I'm just the avionics expert. It might be something to do with the engine. Doesn't matter. You get on with it. You know, yeah. madness, absolute crazy. But um, no, and we put a thread up recently about a similar thing. And we, and, and I, I've got to say, if any of you guys are watching this, you know, all the experts that, that commented on the thread, it's absolutely brilliant. They've all been really giving. And, and the information that's been shared is fantastic. And it's good to see us walk, walk, working towards a common cause here. But this is a typical example. You know, I'll show the email once again. This is a typical example of where we're, we're getting people falling, uh, you know, between the paving blocks, if you like. You know, there's people out there trying to do a job who are very scared and very worried and if it is business essential what i would want to know is show me how you came to that conclusion yeah. show me the evidence that, that that supporting that that is a business essential need and if you know if if the risk of staff being assaulted is is greater than covid you know the risk of catching covid then yeah you know it, it doesn't have to be business essential it, it can be justified on a reasonably practical basis but it's um, Seems to be a bit of a, a throwaway phrase there. A phrase there. So,
1: and uh, I think it's good you highlight that point, though, isn't it? You know, but if you know, if the business essential need is, you know, the, the fear of the frequency of people getting harmed or injured severely, etc., mm. then yeah. it's a discussion that needs to be had. We're not saying that's right, but it's a discussion that needs to be had. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that's expanding the business essential reference. <laughs> yeah.
0: But business, business essential, it's it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of an elephant in the room, isn't it? It's a red herring, because yeah. it's it's words that are put together to mean something that actually don't actually mean anything if you can't prove it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. You know. can we have a look? Uh, sorry, could we have a look at the? Because the next point, there's many in there, but you know, they started doing PMVA again a few weeks ago for new starters only. Yeah. I, you know, again, I think you know, I want to put it in the same category as business essential. In so much as what's the distinction about new trainers requiring train or new starters requiring training? that people currently in post don't need any recertification training? Either way, not that I necessarily agree that they should have training at the moment in terms of physical intervention, but I'm mm. just going back to the question per se.
0: Well, I, th- I think it's the same basis on which the police uh, are doing it in some areas now. You know, they, they've got to weigh up the risk between not training new police officers, yep. um, and then the risk of those officers being assaulted and not being able to serve the public and go to the public's assistance against the, you know, solve and protect them from crime against the risk of those officers contracting COVID because COVID is non discriminatory It doesn't care whether you've been trained before or not. So that's something and I know some police trainers are doing a really good job in, you know, at least trying to do a really good job in, in absolutely unique circumstances. Now, you know, unprecedented circumstances where they're balancing those risks up. Um, And the same question has to be asked in this healthcare environment, you know, is, is there an absolute need at this moment in time to put staff through a PMBA course when you're balancing the need for them to use PMBA? Because it's not, unlike a police officer, they're not on the street solving crime every day. <clears throat> they're not up against the unknown. Most of the service users or patients they're going to deal with, there's probably information about them.
1: Exactly. Thank care you.
0: plans, behavioural care plans, risk assessments. And I know from a conversation I've had with someone who runs a care home recently I said, well, why do you need to train new staff? And they said, want the new staff to work with this particular new person that's coming into the care home. And I said, is that the only person that requires restraint? And they said, yeah. I said, well, put your existing staff that are already trained in that area and give the new starters, put them in an area where there's less risk of having to use restraint, and therefore you can warrant putting the training off until... Sometimes you need it, so it's making people think about this now strategically and operationally from a different perspective. Where before is all right, you've come in, we need to do training. You're on a first aid course, you're on a manual handling course, you're on a restraint course, you're on a conflict management course, and once all the boxes are ticked, you can go and work on the ward. Different set of circumstances now.
1: Yeah, and without repeating exactly what you said there, I think the other factor is going back to the policing side. You know, as you say, it's significantly spontaneous they're dealing with Mm. over a significantly large geographical area, and there are elements where they're long working within that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those factors, in addition to, as you say, kind of address it from that point of view, whereas here, which is a little bit unknown at the moment, but significantly around, I'm going to say there's a case file on the service user they're supporting. Mm-hmm. So there should be an element of history around the person. Yeah. Well, Just raises to... the points we're raising here. Yeah. And
0: there'll be some cases out there, I know, with, you know, ambulance transfers and, you know, patient mm-hmm. transfer things where they're either haven't got or are not being given the information about a patient who got a transfer. And yeah. They have the same difficulties then that the police have in a, in a different environmental context, which is why, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record. You know, it, it, the risk assessment is absolutely critical and crucial now as the hub from which everything else should come. And it's so important that people do this because post-COVID, when things have calmed down, mm-hmm. if there are people that have been affected by this negatively, that have been put in these positions and they start then realizing, Look, you know, this is affecting me, I can't work, I'm going to sue that's when the questions you know uh, the, the issue of risk assessments is going to be brought up in especially in a, in a court case
1: well i think as well isn't it? because for some of the strategy you mentioned about you know the um the trainer group have been submitting the information as you say and putting the open questions there and we're all seeing it broadly from the same point of view as you say which is yeah. kind of uh which is what we expect anyway but i think those issues around i want to call it the common law duty of care but also linked to the issues that you say post covid or post somebody let's say catching the virus and subsequently suffering, you know, fatality from the virus, then we come back to corporate manslaughter issues, don't we? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Those factors come into play.
0: Yeah, and also, you know, we're going back to the issue there, again, of the whole aspect of can staff leave the workplace? Particularly if they're (laughs) not being given the right PPE. You know, of course they can leave the workplace. Mm -hmm. And one one lady I've been helping, uh, whose daughter was in a very awkward position, you know, she was working as um, an agency worker, care worker and according to her the organization would not give her any ppe unless they they actually were sure that the person that she was going to see in the in in their own homes was exhibiting signs of covid well by then it's too late you know you know so i said no no asked these questions, sent her a load of stuff. And she came back and she said, Hello, thanks ever so much. She said, we've taken it up now. Because I told her, write to your local MP, write to these people she has. And her daughter now has been furloughed because she, she has a daughter as well. She's been furloughed on full pay. So we got the good conclusion there for the right reasons in that case. But it's, just, it's good that we're doing this. And I appreciate you being on here because... People need to, you know, need to know what they can and can't do, and hopefully we're coming at this from a positive aspect where we're giving them information, you know. Because, and, and I just want to get this point out there as well for for a lot of people, you know, this is happening, you know, COVID's real, it's it's out there. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but you know what? Don't focus on the negativity of it, please. You know, don't don't get drawn into the negativity of it, looking at the statistics and the figures. If that drags you down and your your primary focus of your attention, your thought process is negative, negative, negative. Sadly, and I hate to say this, but you're going to end up with the symptoms of what you're focusing on. Because a 100 years ago, there was a book written and it said that a famous doctor had done some research with thousands of people and 70% of cases, people who go to see doctors have not got the illness, they're hypochondriacs. They've thought they had it and they worried about it and they've actually got it, okay? Uh, and then Dr. Lisa Rankin has brought another book out recently that says uh, first-year medical students, here it comes again, of them end up with the symptoms of the disease that they're studying, particularly when it comes near to exam time. Because when you have a a focus of attention in a certain area and you emotionalize that attention, so you give it power, that goes from your conscious mind to your subconscious mind. And just like the bias thing, so if I meet you for the first time and I think, oh, Trevor's a nice guy, you know, I I might not know you, but I think he's a nice guy. My mind then goes for information to confirm that bias and finds information to rationalize my emotional decision that I like you. And this is exactly what happens. So when this goes into the unconscious mind and we think, God, you know, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I'm going to die. The mind goes, right, I better find some information to support that for you because if that's what you want, I need to give you the evidence. So if you are watching this, don't get negative about stuff, okay? It is what it is, but deal with it from a positive aspect. Sorry about that.
1: No, 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 please, mate, absolutely just before we move on, and I'm please, I'm, you know, stay with it, you know, you're right, hey, we want to, we want to empower people, you know, that's managers, supervisors, staff, anybody to do the right thing with themselves, you know, and it's that, you know, there, most people out there mean and intend well, Yeah, from time to time we all make mistakes, you know, and that should be about lessons learned, yeah. as opposed to, you know, just blindly going out there and being ignorant, which is a different discussion altogether, but I think on the back of that, though you know and we're saying an, an employee's right to refuse or say no move away withdraw to a safe exit but please and again I am going to sound like a broken record document 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 sorry get it written down uh, and I, I, I don't think we've had this conversation before but it always makes me smile and I've tested this out and I won't say research it's tested it out and I've actually done this so some people might recall you know I've made reference to something that allegedly happened, let's say eight months ago, yeah, and then people questioned me on it, but the fact that I could produce a book and go, here's a date time reference of when it occurred, and that was taken on face value, yeah, so mm. What I'm trying to get to though is that, without anything there, people have challenged me on it, yeah? yeah. I have admitted to those people afterwards, that I'm just carrying out a little bit of an experiment. Yeah. What I'm trying to come to, isn't it, without any documentation, people will challenge you and push it back to you then, you know, where's your evidence, where's your evidence, where's your evidence? Where's your evidence? So document it and part of that documentation i.e mark and Travel having a discussion on friday about 20 you know 20 plus two for example not being really funny that's the context isn't it that's the reference that's what makes it tangible yeah so, yeah. excuse a quick experiment. Forgive me, just in case people misunderstand where I was going with that. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, listen, we've been running for about half an hour now, so
0: I think that's. In, I think they'll be sick of the sound of us by the end of this. But, uh, <laughs> I, if anyone's watching this, um, if you've got any questions, then you know, email me or DM me on one of the social sites, or or, or you know, do the same with Travel. We're we're here to, to help. We're here to serve as best we can. This is what we do best. So don't be you know shy of getting in touch. You know, people are getting in touch, and we're happy to help. I can't always promise you that the answer we'll give you is the answer you're looking for. And I'll guarantee you that we'll be absolutely honest and truthful and transparent with you and tell you what you need to know as opposed to what you probably want to know. So that's, that's where we're coming from.
1: Trev, any last things from you? No, again, thanks. uh, Thanks again for the opportunity to share these, and have a discussion with you. And hopefully, you know, somebody benefits from these discussions. Appreciate it.
0: No, it's part of my new thing. I want to help the disadvantaged. I'm talking about you? Didn't get no, I know, you. Nah, I, know. <laughs> I
1: was trying I was trying I was trying I think
0: you had to do it, didn't you? you had to get one. <laughs> are you wearing trousers?
1: Are you wearing trousers. Are you wearing trousers? No. <laughs> no, I'm not even gonna ask you to stand up. On that note, mate. All right, see you later on, mate. Catch you a bit. Well. Bye bye.